Welcome, my friend. You are listening to the Art Vance Podcast. We are going after God's heart for the arts industry. I am your host, Elliot Bonza. In the midst of everything going on right now, it is so easy to become consumed by the negative report, which can then begin to influence our perspectives of ourselves, of God, and of the arts industry or our art form or sense of creativity. But I want to encourage you, God has a redemptive narrative for you to capture about your identity, but also about your art form and God's designed impact for your art form to have on the world around you. I interview leading voices from industries such as the film and entertainment industry, music industry, uh, visual design, and all other forms of arts. And I love to hear what God is saying in and through these voices in both mainstream and faith-based contexts. So let's jump into this next episode of Art Vance. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Art Vance. We are going after God's heart for the arts industry. Today, we have a guest on the show, producer, composer, songwriter, and arranger, Jared Hashek. Welcome to the show, Jared. Hey, thanks, Elliot. It is good to be here. It's always great to have uh, people who are creative on the show, but also people who work in the realm of producing and arranging and some of the unique abilities and skills that are needed for that. So I'm really excited about this episode. It might get nice and technical and creative in the same sense. So Jared, just getting to know your world. um, Yeah. Tell us a bit about you and your family. Yep. So I live here in Melbourne with my wife, Rebecca, and we have three kids uh, who are 18, 14, and 12. And um, yeah, we're a pretty busy yeah. household, I guess, with you know different age groups and school. Our eldest is at university this year. So wow. Yeah. Let's go, go, go. Life is full. That's great. So Melbourne, when did you first discover a passion or an impulse for music? And arts. Uh, I, I think my entire life. I, when I was a kid, we had a piano at home, and my mum got me into piano lessons. I think when I was about six, but she got me into piano lessons because I wouldn't stop playing the piano. And like I had these memories of playing the piano when I was very young and playing all these amazing songs. I wasn't. I was just bashing it and playing eternal nonsense. But in my mind. Yeah, I was nailing it, and um, she thought that if I had less, maybe I would stop bashing the piano and just, you know, I could at least play a tune. So that would have been grade one at school, and you know, right through school, I was always just music has been my life for as long as I can remember. When I was in high school, I was always in bands and writing songs for those bands, and then you know, once I hit university, I was in bands and I was writing songs and producing records and writing string arrangements to go on the records and, you know, it was just this obsession that became a real on-the-job training thing so that, it you know, as well as playing in bands, it became a career as well. Amazing. So, yeah, childhood dreams coming true in your adult years. Amazing. Absolutely. As well as the work tagged onto that of um, producing and arranging. And I think just beforehand we were talking about what you're working on today. You've just had a, a set of strings. Yeah, yeah, we had a string octet in the studio um, just ran to the next room this morning. So, um, yeah, it was great. So I work as an arranger, so I arranged strings for um, four, 
four string section session songs and we did one with a solo viola so there's five songs all together that we put down strings for and so yeah i arranged the strings and organized um the players and produced the session with my friend the engineer and yeah fantastic do you really appreciate the um the acoustic like strings arranging more than doing more of the digital stuff what what do you prefer um, I definitely, I definitely enjoy working with people. Um, yeah. and I think that having real people playing physical instruments, it's a whole different world than, um, you know, in the box producing. And look, look I do my fair share of, you know, programming and sequencing and producing in the box. Um, uh, but yeah, it is my, it would be my preference and something that I enjoy and think that I'm good at is working with people. Mm. And um, with the string, sec- I mean, with the strings this morning, you know, it was eight people who are phenomenal sight readers who you just, you know, they were here for two hours and we put the music in front of them that they'd never seen before and they nailed it. And then they went home and we had strings down for four songs. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, so in that sense, it wasn't a particularly collaborative environment because, you know, it's like, you know, the micromanager's dream job because it's like, here, here's instructions to do exactly what I say. And then yeah. they, exactly what I said and it sounded great. But um, often I'll work with, if I'm producing a record, often we will have, you know, um, session musos in the room together. And it's a little bit of an old school kind of vibe, but often we'll have, you know, a live drummer and a guitarist and a bass player, keyboard player, and again, all incredible musicians, but all putting it down together, not just to get a drum tape, but to get, you know, final takes of everything. And I find that collaborative way of working where, sure, I'm the producer, but, you know, we all produce together mm. um, is just a great way to work and you get results quickly and you get great results. And if you want to change direction, I mean, we did a song on, we did that last Friday and we were working on a song and the artist wasn't happy with the feel. So we we could change direction instantly and five minutes later try a different feel rather than spending another hour or two reprogramming a track to Mm. see if that was going to be the new direction. You know, we just, you can pivot really easily and you've got, you know, four really great brains in the room that can chuck in ideas and, yeah, I find it to be a great way of working. Yeah, you'd say that's your favourite space to to work is that collaborative, getting the draw from every creative person that's in the room. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know, I guess it's always going to, not always, but in these scenarios I'm the producer so it's still my thing and mm. I guess I'm the one that has, you know, the final the final call on which direction it goes and I'm – but I think that for me, one of the big jobs as a producer is getting the right people in the room for the right job. And mm. um, I know that if I've got the right drummer, the right bass player and the right guitarist for the genre and for the artist and for what we're doing, then um, that's half my job done is getting the right people in and then I can rely on their own creative intuition to, um, you know, really bring it home. And I don't need to micromanage them. I don't need to be right. Unless I've got a clear, hey, this guitar line is really what we're after. Yeah. Um, but for the, you know, often if I don't have that singular idea for each musician, you're like, well, here's the chart, here's the guy, track. let's have a listen and have a chat mm. and then let's play some things and, yeah, it comes together pretty quickly. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that communal part of being creative is just, I love that as well. Just being able to sit with a few people, bounce ideas off, and I might have an idea and then someone else mentions something better. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's, that's, uh, let's go that way because that's much better than what yeah, I had. Yeah, totally. Um, and because they're phenomenal players, you know, you know, you're not spending hours trying, like, it's not like a, I don't know. I've had, you know, I, I'm involved in our church music team and have been involved in many church music teams over my life. And the thing I love about church music teams is that they're made up of all sorts of abilities and all sorts of people. And, you know, you're there because you can play an instrument and because you've got a shared faith and you're part of the community. Mm. Um, and you're expecting those kind of scenarios that, you know, no one's going to be a professional musician and, that's totally fine. And so you'll spend an evening working on a song until it's sounding great. Um, whereas, yeah, the the refreshing or the, you know, the nice change in doing this sort of work is that you're working with incredible musicians that can nail it second time through. And then you can still try different directions, but you can get through those iterations and those ideas so quickly. Yeah. That but then there's not 93 takes and you have to still quantize that person's guitar note because they keep- exactly. Exactly, it's off the beat. Um, you got it right in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Any money you might have saved by getting the cheap musician, you waste in studio time by trying to get it right. Yes. So, um, and that's yeah. You know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm paying out musicians that aren't at this you know elite level that I'm talking about. But when it's you know when you're making a record, being able to work with people that are this good is a real joy. Yeah, it is. Makes your job easier. Makes everyone's job easier. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh yeah. Makes me look good. Yeah. That's, that's what it's about. <laughs> I say with my tongue in cheek, you know, but, you know, it, yeah. Surrounding yourself with people that are fantastic is definitely a good way to find success, I reckon. Yeah, and they're not treating it like a hobby. They actually they treat it and approach it with the same passion with which you approach your job. Um, For sure. And yeah, and that, that just adds a whole lot more unity in the process, I suppose. Hey, what are you working on right now? So, so we're working on an um, EP for a local singer-songwriter. This will be her debut project. So yep. um, she came in with some song ideas, but they were mostly, you know, lyrics and some melodies. And so, yeah, really got to start from the ground up and you know, put together chord progressions and feels and structures. And then, um, yeah, so that was the last weekend we did um, the band tracks for that. And then this morning was strings for the same project. Yeah, great. So um, there's that, and I do. Um, I know there's always a thousand things going on. I do a bit of work as a film orchestrator, so I work on um, film scores, but not as a composer. I do for the most part. Often I'll take the composer's score and then prepare that for the orchestra to record. So they will have recorded it in their, you know, in Pro Tools or Logic or whatever they use. Um, yeah. Just playing in the orchestral parts on their keyboard. And then so we'll take those MIDI files and those audio files and turn it into actual sheet music for a real orchestra to put down the final score. So I, yeah, do a bit of that and um, got a Christmas EP that I'm producing next month. For, uh, oh, great. Right, so, um, yeah, always something going on. Yeah, there's always things percolating. Um, yeah. So the film score thing, how long ha- have you been doing that for long or has that been something that's come up in the last few years for you? Yeah, the last last few years, um, I've I've scored a few indie films myself, and um, but the more regular gig is definitely yeah working as part of this team. So I work for um a company called Jigsaw Music that are based in Sydney, and um, yeah, they um 
I guess they have yeah relationships with composers, and so the scores will come into them, and they'll farm out the orchestrating work to a few arrangers around Australia, and um, then it'll either get tracked here in Australia or sometimes um in Europe. Yeah. So um, yeah, we worked on the Mortal Kombat film that came out last year, and oh wow, uh, the new Baz Luhrmann Elvis film, Elvis movie oh. that's just come out or is about to come out. I'm not sure whether it's out yet, but um. We worked on that. It premiered yeah. last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, fantastic. So, yeah. what what was your involvement on that? Were you doing some of the writing of the score, or yes, were you- so just orchestrating? Wow. So, um, you're taking in the MIDI files from the composer, and uh, yeah, just getting ready for the orchestra, which can be as simple as just going, oh, well, there's a tuba part. I'm gonna put that on the tuba stave, and there we go. Or it could be, you know, well, we've got. Two notes for the tuba. We only have one tuba player, so we've got to give some of those notes to the bass trombone or, you know, that violin part goes too low for violins because so we have to give it to the violas, but that means the viola part has to do – like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like doing a giant Sudoku. Yeah. You've got all these restrictions and parameters that you need to work within. Yeah. And you've got a guy that's just played stuff on his keyboard. And, look, I'm not, that's not to pay out the composers at all. They're, you know, they're writing incredible music, mm. but they're not always thinking about what they're writing in terms of how a physical orchestra is going to play it, so – where those sounds and notes are going to be placed in terms of the which instrument. Yeah, which instrument. And sometimes they'll have a strings patch and they'll just play chords and then you've got to work out which part's going to go for which section. And so, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of geeking out a bit, Jared, because, um, yeah, I, I love that whole space of film composing. I'm, I'm working in film myself um, and I love hearing people's stories about how did you come up with that idea. Now, with what would you say would be one of the role models you had if you had one growing up where you kind of looked at what they did and you kind of imagined that could be something you would do? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, you know, growing up I always was in bands and I think probably when I was a teenager wanted to be more of a rock star than a studio guy. And But I, I looked at people that were, you know, just a, I guess a bit ahead of me, like I'm, I'm – Rather than looking at, you know, superstars and think I want to be them, it was more like looking at someone who was five or ten years older than me who was touring Australia or doing gigs at the local church hall or, you know, and they were, I mean, Steve Grace was someone that I, um, you know, I remember going to an Amy Grant concert when I was about 13 and he opened for Amy and I think he just released Children of the Western World, um, which was, I think, one of the only Australian Christian albums to go gold. Um, it took like 20 years, but it went gold eventually, um, <laughs> which is, you know, an amazing achievement in Australia. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think just people that were a rung or two above me were the ones that kind of really inspired me. Another guy was Andy Sorensen, who's still working as a producer and an artist today. And um, I say that like he's an old guy. He's just a bit older than me. Um yeah, people that were out there doing it and, in my mind at least, were doing it successfully. Mm. Um, yeah, there was a guy called Alan Neuendorf that ran a studio and a Christian label back when I was young and he signed the band that I was in and, yeah, we did a cassette. That's right, folks, a cassette. Um, <laughs> yes. So, I know, bringing it back. <laughs> and he, you know, he ran a studio and um, I got to sit in when he was producing or recording other albums and... Funnily enough, you know, albums that had horn charts and string arrangements that I wasn't writing them, but got to see that stuff go down and see an arranger at work and go, oh, it's, I could do that, you know. So, yeah. 
That's amazing. So there were people that were kind of like distant figures that you would hear about or listen to, and then there were people actually close to your life that you would kind of get the opportunity yeah. to shadow or work with. Yeah. Yep. What do you think has been a big lesson or tip that you've learned through the journey? It could be creative uh, or it could be a business thing or it could uh, be. That well, I think that one of, for me, one of the, one of the biggest things that I've learned is that just sticking at it is one of the most important things. So when I was in my twenties, I wanted to be a producer. Um, and it, I did a couple of little jobs, but it never really happened. And I got to my 30s and sort of went, well, that I think that ship sailed, you know, and I was okay with that. Like it didn't bother me immensely that I wasn't working as a producer, um, but I thought that I missed the boat mm. and that, you know, that. And then um, I was still working in music. I did a lot of transcribing back back then, like, you know, writing sheet music for Hal Leonard and stuff like that. So and I was happy to be working in music and, um, you know, I was in a band and, yeah, it was all good. But um, then it's really been my late 30s and into my 40s that I've been getting more and more creative jobs, which I didn't really identify that earlier, but it was the creative jobs that I was that I wanted. You know, I wanted to be a producer where I was having creative ideas or I wanted to be songwriting for someone or I wanted to be, um, you know, writing string arrangements or orchestrations and all these creative things. And discovered that to get people to trust you with these creative roles, you need to have, well, you need to have runs on the board and you need to have just some maturity. And so I found that it's, I'm you know, busier than ever in those really creative elements of my job. Um, and if I chucked it all in at 30 and become, I don't know, something else, you know, pursued another career, um, while that I'm sure could have been a fulfilling path in life, I would have missed out on the stuff that I'm doing now mm. um, by sticking around and maintaining, you know, staying as a full-time musician. Mm. Um, so I think that, yeah, if if music is all you can do, which I put put my hand up as that's all I can do, then you've got to stick at it. And you've got to be great at it and you've got to be a people person and, you know, that, but – yeah, you just got to keep on keep on showing up. Persistence, determination. It's awesome. Yeah. Now, you mentioned you're working on a Christmas album. Is that so that it can be ready in time for the end of the year uh, as a release? Yeah, that's the plan. I think I think it'll come out October, November kind of time. That's exciting. So, yeah, it's, what was it's, the inspiration it's no for that? Well, it's not mine. Yeah. So I'm I'm producing a Christmas album, but it's it's for um for another artist. Okay. So for me, the inspiration was I said, "Can you produce my album?" I said, "Sure." I <laughs> <laughs> said, "I'll pay you to do that." I said, "Great." That's very we have inspiring. A deal. Yes. <laughs> so I'm um, very inspired by being able to feed my family. Yes, that's right. But, I, mean, I, I love I love Christmas music. So yeah, you know, it's a job that I really enjoy. It's it, it, um I've got no problem. You know the job; it's going to be great. So we've got our we've got our sessions for that coming up in July. That's great. Um, okay, so what I might be thinking of is Jared plays hymns and Jared plays carols. There was some recent uh, albums yeah. you worked on. What was the inspiration for those? Well, so those albums they're just solo piano albums, and I they start. I mean, I've always uh, I love playing piano, and I used to 
I don't know, I used to be a bit, I guess, bashful about just playing the piano because people enjoyed it. Like it seemed to be, I don't know, being an Australian, I was like, oh, that's a bit arrogant just to go, I'm going to do this now because you're going to like it. Like mm. I felt like a bit show off here, you know. And then I reckon it was like at the start of 2017, I think. I just – so here at the studio in the, in the room that we just did the strings in, there's a grand piano. Mm. And so I just – I did this – I started – well, one day I just thought I'm going to sit at the piano, hit record on my iPhone video and play a hymn. And, you know, and I played it my way, which was sort of a bit improvised and it sort of went some tangent and then came back and landed. Anyway, it was, you know, people liked it. And so I started doing this thing called, um, it was every Friday I would do a hymn mm. and just did that for a while. And then I was like, oh, I reckon that this could be an album. So obviously I didn't use those recordings. I just booked the studio for a day and recorded a day of piano. And yeah. um, then recorded on a dozen hymns and there it was. And then the next year I did another album of carols. And I'm just thinking that I might do another hymns album Mm. because the pandemic's waning and, you know, here we are. So, yeah. Plus there's more um, than 12,000 hymns out there. Um, There is. I discovered there was only 12 that I could play without sheet music. So I think I'm up to needing to do some research. It got too hard. Yes, I have – some solo piano albums, which, yeah, I even put them on CD and sold them. So, yeah, just like an old person. <laughs> I printed CDs. Like when I when I did my album in 2018, I still had it in me to to put them on CDs. Um, so even though- Well, I have this theory up. that people, um, if you're not gigging at all, then maybe CDs aren't that useful. But, I mean, I sold a bunch of them on my I reckon I sold 100 on my website, which was really not a massive number, but it's it was enough to break even on the pressing of the physical CDs. So, mm. yeah. Um, but I have a theory that people come, if you're performing and people come to the event mm. and they're like, oh, that was great. I loved it. They want to take home part of that experience with them. Yeah. And so people will buy a set, especially if it's got nice artwork and some other, you know, I don't want to call it fan stuff, but people that, you know, other than memorabilia as well as the audio disc, then um, people will take it home with them. And if you're out there playing some shows or playing some churches or pubs or whatever your thing is, mm. then um, having a physical thing I think is still valuable. And especially for me because they were hymns and they were – I didn't think about it this way, but, you know, they appeal to an older audience. Yeah. We're more likely to have CD players, so that kind of helped as well. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. I've got a hymn on my album, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It's always yeah. been the favourite of mine. Um, and so when Samuel and I collaborated over that, he came up with this orchestral, not orchestral, this um, chord progression that works as an instrumental. And I wrote a new verse for it, which was really cool. Um, it was such a powerful experience, actually, because you're working with material that's existed since the 1600s. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm pretty sure it was the 1600s. That one was written by Isaac Watts. And, yeah, just being able to collaborate with that legacy and 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 create with that is just a really, it's a written experience, that's for sure. What do you think is something that you're noticing right now in arts that might be different or unique? Well, I guess we're in a weird space coming out of the, you know, pandemic, which was just weird for everyone. And so 
Mm. You know, everyone really um, lent into that online. Everyone, every second person was doing Facebook live concerts from their lounge room and all that stuff, which was really great. But I feel like it's almost like there's been a bit of a rubber band that was, you know, been let go and people are really, I guess, hankering for in-person stuff. Yeah. You know, and whether it's in-person recording or concerts or starting up projects that have been, they'd, you know, been dormant for the last couple of years and it's just an interesting time. Yeah, we're... There's a lot of enthusiasm around, I reckon, for people for creating and for getting out there and doing stuff, mm. um, which I think maybe, you know, the pandemic's made us realise that we can't take that for granted. And um, mm. but Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think with the, with the pandemic impacting on people not being able to do their, uh, you know, their gigs at public places, I, I'd be interested to know how many people became more creative in their solitude and how many might have felt like they lost or got their creativity squashed in one sense and yeah and that's, people wrote that's, lots of songs and yeah i think it's going to be people on both sides of that coin for sure mm. um yeah. how did it impact you as a producer and composer did you have a bit more time to create or did you actually have more people coming to collaborate well yeah i mean in terms of just workload it was definitely lower during that period um, particularly sort of from mid-2020 to mid-2021, that was sort of the quietest 12 months. Mm. Um, and I used that time personally to I probably wrote a few more songs I would have normally have written and mm. did some personal stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, it was just a weird time. You know, we I worked from home and the kids were at home from school. And, yeah, I think that for me, rather than investing the downtime into creative pursuits, I just spent it on family time mostly, I think. So, um yeah, and I'm maybe, you know, if someone had said to us in March 2020, look, the next two years you're going to be at home a lot and all this stuff's going to change and that's how long it's going to last for them, we would have approached it differently. But you sort of were always expecting it to, you know, finish. Yeah. So you didn't go, right, I've got a six-month home, guys. Let's write an opera or an album or a, I don't know, there was, it's hindsight's a beautiful thing. I Man, we had two years. To do yeah. stuff, but at the time we didn't know we we're going to have two years. And yep, there were so, so many different narratives as well. Like we're going to flatten the curve fast, and it's going to change. Oh wait, no, we're not. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. Yeah, the lockdowns are going to fix things, and then they didn't. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Well, what would be your piece of advice to a perhaps emerging producer, a young producer who's passionate, who understands a little bit of the job description of a producer? What do you think? you would encourage them to work on most? Um, well, assuming that, you know, their skill level is high enough as a – I mean, there's, you know, there's different ways of being a producer too. Like some people are come from an engineer kind of background where they can record things really well and they've got some ideas about what should be recorded. Or you're like me who comes from a musician background, whereas – and I can plug in some microphones, but – you know, it's just, there's so many, or you might be a guy that makes beats or a girl mm. that makes beats and, you know, that, that might be your thing. Yeah. And then getting people to top line over that or to rap over that. So anyway, assuming that you have some sort of skill level in one of these kind of areas, I think it's personal relationships that are the thing that are the most important. And People skills. You, you can be the hottest producer, but if the person on the microphone doesn't feel comfortable or they think you're a jerk or you're hard to get along with or you're 
too quiet and shy and aren't confident enough to share your ideas or relate to someone, then I think all of those things are going to stand in your way more than your skill level or like of. Like you can be just okay as a producer but be a really warm, genuine person mm. and people will flock to you or you can be an amazing producer and a bit of a jerk and no one's going to come back. Mm. So for me it's – you know, showing the fruit of the spirit. It's showing love and joy and kindness and patience and all these things with the people that come through your studio door. Yeah. They're the things that are going to see you thrive in your career because you care about people. Mm. Every and that, career. And, that, and that's not necessarily, per- like I know I said before, you might be too shy, but that's that wasn't meant to be about personalities. Like you can be a quiet person that still speaks confidently about your area of expertise. So you don't need to be an extrovert or you know, the life of the party to be a good producer. Mm. But you just need to be able to connect with and empathise with and relate to the people that are, you're working with so that they feel comfortable and love being there and want to come back again. Mm. So That's awesome. Such great advice. People skills, which work across every industry, every career. Um, Absolutely. Often it can be the skill that goes out the window of priorities though. Um especially if you got to hit KPIs and got to... Um, well, yeah, I mean, once, you know, stresses and all that sort of stuff is going on, then, you know, everyone's got a fuse that's only a certain length, you know. Some of us have long fuses and some of us have short fuses. So we're all human and we're not going to be perfectly gracious all the time, but I think that if we're there to serve the person that we're, that we're producing for and not ourselves, then... It's a good step in the right direction. That's so good. Well, hey, Jared, how can people get a hold of you? Um, JaredHashik.com. Great. So it's just my name, J-A-R-E-D-H-A-S-C-H-E-K.com. And it's a great website. I love it. Cruising through the different areas and seeing exactly what Jared does. It's um, it's it's great to talk to you today, Jared. Thank you for imparting your wisdom, sharing your expertise and experiences. And I'm sure it's going to inspire people who are artists that want to take their art further. Thanks, mate. And honestly, if anyone has any, don't hesitate to email me. I love a good chat. And it doesn't need to be about, you know, employing me. It can just be a question about whatever. Shoot me an email and would love to hear from anybody. So don't be shy now. Awesome. Okay, guys, you've been hearing from Jared Hashik, producer, arranger, songwriter, and composer. Jared, thanks for being on the show. Mate, thank you so much for having me. It's been fantastic. All right, guys. Well, until we see you next time on Art Vance, keep shining bright. Bye. So, you want to be a screen actor? Well, it's time to take action. I'm so excited to announce our first Art Vance event, a screen acting workshop followed by a night of worship and encounter. I have worked across business, education and ministry environments in training and working with actors. Now I want to help you. I believe God's calling forth an army of artists that will reveal his nature and intentions in the earth and in the arts industry, especially actors. So if you want to refresh your skills, professional knowledge and spiritual intelligence around screen acting, keep your eye out for details coming soon. You've been listening to the Art Vance Podcast. 
Thanks for tuning in on this episode as we've gone after God's heart for the arts industry. Remember to connect with us through Facebook, Instagram, on our Sounds of Soaring Ministries pages. We look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you next time on Art Vance.